Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I am your host, Joseph Velarde. In this podcast, we will discover the gym that is the Lehigh Valley and learn from people from all walks of life. Well, welcome to another episode of the Vision for the Valley podcast. I'm your host, Joe Velarde, and I'm so excited today to welcome my friend, Rod Stafford to the, the podcast. And the reason we're going outside of the immediate Lehigh Valley area, and I've said this, you probably get sick of me hearing, hearing me or hearing me say this again and again, is we really want to hear from people outside of our immediate area to learn about what they're seeing with what's going on culturally. I think that's really important too. I want you to hear from people who have influenced me personally, who have impacted my vision for the Valley where we are. And then three, I just have a lot of questions about life and leadership. And I thought, why would I be so selfish not to share? So this is my attempt to share with others uh, what it is that I'm, I'm learning as I'm talking to people who are on the leadership journey as well. Um, and so we're so grateful to have Rod with us. And, and Rod is, is the lead pastor of Fairfax Community Church. Rod, tell us a little bit about yourself and Fairfax Community Church as well. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's a church that started a long time ago. It, it started back in the 1920s or, or so. So I'm not the founding pastor, so don't ask me that, uh, don't ask me that question. I was like, wondering uh, how you yeah. got <laughs> for staying so young. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I came here in 1986. I came here right out of seminary. It's the only church I've ever pastored. And um, I had, came with a sense that maybe this was where God wanted us to be for our whole lives. And, and uh, my, my first year with the church, uh, with our board of trustees, it was called a board of trustees at that time. Um, you know, I just said, I don't have a one-year vision. I don't have a two-year vision. I have a 40-year vision. Mm -hmm. We all laughed at how stupid and audacious, you know, that was. But um, yeah, we're kind of 33 years into the 40-year vision, right? So uh, it's, been a, it's been a long-term journey. So I grew up in the Midwest. My dad was a pastor. My brother was a pastor. My two grandparents were itinerant preachers. Um, I grew up in that environment. So the last thing I wanted to be was a preacher. I wanted to be a professional baseball player or something. That's awesome. And other, other than lacking talent, you know, I was, uh, was perfect for that. So, but God has, you know, this funny sense of humor. And so, uh, ended up, uh, ended up going into ministry actually at 19. And um, uh, so it's been a, it's been a really cool journey. And being here in Fairfax has been a, just a life changing thing for me. You know, it's, it's allowed me to, it's allowed me to pastor a bunch of different churches, all, all called Fairfax Community Church. And um, in, in some respects, I, I, I talk a lot about the fact that this church has had probably six or seven different pastors mm. and they've all been named Rod Stafford mm. um, because of, uh, yeah, just the change that you go through in, uh, in leading and the fact that every new phase requires different leadership. And uh, so, yeah, so we've been here, raised our kids here, got our grandkids here, everybody's close. So yeah. And we love, we love the DC area. So yeah, just so you have frame of reference for those who don't know where Fairfax, Virginia is, it's really right outside DC, uh, right. Washington DC. And uh, Rod, actually the, the way I met Rod was through my older brother, uh, Jesse, 
um, who, when I was um, looking at to, to start Riverbend Community Church right before that, and I was in the New York City area, and Jesse was in the D.C. area. He started going to Fairfax Community Church, really involved in the kids' ministry and helping and leading in that, and, and just raved about the church and, and how blessed he had been by you in particular, how you, at that point, he was not married, uh, and how you and your wife opened up your home yeah. and had the young adults at your home, how that really made an impression on him, gave him a heart and a, a love for the church. And then when the time came for me to process about where I was going to go next, uh, I called you and I said, man, can we talk? I, I'm a little like disoriented right now. <laughs> and I, I uh, felt like the Lord was telling me it's time um, to, to go out and, and to, to plant and, and to really reconfigure uh, my part in how that looks and to take the role of, of a lead pastor, lead church planner. We would use that language, um, very common uh, vernacular in those circles. Uh, but what I just thought, you know, back to that and how impactful you were to even talk with me during that time. And how you didn't like say, this is what you should do, but you were just so good at like listening and asking good questions, helping me to to really process that. And I, I think what's so fascinating, two things you said already. Uh, first of all, congratulations on 33 years. Man. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's awesome. I'm, yeah. I just turned 40. I'm not trying to date you at all, but I just <laughs> turned 40. And that, that is pretty incredible in itself, right? Uh, and uh, so first question in that is, what's kept you there for that long? Yeah. So, you know, faithfulness, it's easy to start out really well but you fizzle out and, and sometimes it's fizzling out because of some kind of a failure or sometimes it's the failure to adapt, grow or change. Yeah. But, but what, what, what's, what's kept you there and allowed you to be so faithful for these 30 yeah. years? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I've talked to a lot of young pastors and, and the thing that I've experienced and I, and I just think it's, it's oftentimes true. The calling is more to the area than it is to the church. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we, we, felt, we felt called to the Washington, D.C. area. We felt called to Northern Virginia. And, you know, we've gone through lots of highs, lots of lows, lots of opportunities to leave, obviously. Um, and the, the thing that's kept us here has been the calling to the area. Yeah. Uh, more, more than, we love the church. It's an unbelievable congregation. What's happened over the last 33 years has been fantastic. But it's, it's, been, it's been the area that has been really the, the thing that has kept us here. And that's the thing I, I talk to young pastors about as they're thinking about where they're going, what they're going to do, taking a church, starting a church, whatever, is just, um, you know, talk to, me about, talk to me about why you want to be there. Talk to me about why that city, that location, that area, because that's what's going to that's what's going to keep you there through the tough times is the fact that you really feel called to that area. Yeah. And so I think that's been a big thing for us is just, we feel, we feel called to this area. Yeah. I think, I think what you said is so important. And I think whether you're a pastor, church planner, business leader, stay at home parent, you fill in the blank. I think when we, we look at where we are, we're not just to take up space there or actually to be there on purpose and, and we have a purpose in which we were created for. And part of that purpose is to love that area that we're in well, uh, to yeah. serve it well, to be for it, to be for the embitterment of it, to see it 
flourish and thrive. And, you know, even if you're not a Bible person, Jeremiah 29, though, talks about to be for the city, to be in it, because if it prospers, you prosper. The shalom of God is on you. And I think you're right. I think even back to my journey, you know, as a church planner, a lot of what you're told is, you know, launch large and all these things that aren't necessarily in themselves evil or wrong, but they don't have the undergirding to sustain you. Yeah. Right? Because what happens if you launch and it's not large <laughs> or what happens, right. what happens if, uh, you know, it goes well and then all of a sudden you hit some hurdles or, or, or you know, that's it, there's a season that's dry or difficult, which in any leadership uh, that's going to happen. Yeah. And, and, and so I think getting to the, the why, the why before you even get to the what, why am I here? Why this place? Why these people? Yeah. And I say, you know, like I'm truly for you fill in the blank for us. It's for the Valley for, for Rod. It's for Fairfax, you know, to be for the, these people, this community, to see it be restored and rebuilt to all that it's intended to be. But one of the other things you said, Rod, and I think this speaks to faithfulness is, and I love this. This is such a great phrase <laughs> that you said, you said that over that those years that you've been there, the 33 years, they've had eight different pastors all named rod stafford yeah can can you tell us a little bit about even as people are listening to this and you know you always heard the statement probably you've many times uh you know new levels new devils you know and and part of that is even for us having to work through some things in our own story in our own lives can you share with us a little bit about how you've done the work um over you know, over the years and what that even has looked like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, just naturally with organizations as they change and grow, um, they just need different kinds of leaders. Mm. And so that usually goes one way or the other, that either either you kind of are who you are and once the organization outgrows what you bring to the table, you know, someone else comes in and takes it to the next level and you go and do that somewhere else or you adapt to what the organization needs at that point. And, you know, the sad thing, either one of those is fine. I mean, I think folks can say, Hey, I do one thing. Well, you know, Paul talked about who, you know, who planted, who watered, you know, all of that. Sometimes you say, this is my role and this is where I can, get an organization or a church and then I'm going to go do that somewhere else and let someone else come in here and do this. That's awesome. Uh, or you change and you become the kind of leader that the organization needs at that moment. The, the sad thing is when you don't change and you stay. Mm-hmm. And sadly that happens a lot yeah. where the organization needs a different kind of leader and, um, the person on the point's not willing to, not willing to get off the point or not willing to change. And uh, so, you know, I, I don't know that I've done that perfectly or that the timing has always been right, but I think that I've, I've really, really been sensitive to what does this organization need at this point to get to where God seems to be drawing us on and what kind of changes in my leadership style uh, need to happen in order to do that. Yeah, that takes a lot of self-awareness mm. and that's not easy to come by, especially 
for people in general, but specifically for leaders, because sometimes it's easier to lead others than to lead ourselves. Yeah. And that, you know, that it will always be the hardest person to lead. And then even to understand what needs to change in me. And sometimes the change, at least from my experience, and I'm not in it 33 years. So <laughs> I, you know, we're, we're over a little over a decade now at it. Uh, but you know, one of the things I'm learning is sometimes it, it means even changing what I specifically do yeah. and then I release others to specifically do. Yeah. There's a season where you wear more hats than you probably should yeah. um, and aren't necessarily good for you or the organization, but out of necessity, you wore them. Like I'm in a crossroads right now in that, that way where I, it kind of just dawned on me. I'm a visionary. I'm a teacher. I'm an evangelist. I'm a multiplier, you know, whatever words you want to use to describe something like that. But what I'm not by the nature of me is I'm not a, um, create process systems, manage those things, manage people type of leadership i'm about developing leaders and, and walking with and i believe though those things are important for any organization you need structure you need systems you need management of people but what was happening is i was even realizing wait a minute like i'm i'm not necessarily really good at it i, I can do it yeah <laughs> but i'm i'm stifling what god has done in me and potentially creating a lid and it wasn't even like i was trying to hold on to it it's just i didn't realize it was happening right and and i was in a lot of conversations receiving a lot of feedback and then god in his goodness brought the right teammates around yeah but it's funny how he prepares you uh, before he pro provides what it is you actually need because you can't clearly see it and it's not even like you're trying to fight it per se it's just you're not aware because that awareness just takes time yeah, and, you know, you're, you're starting to realize, well, wait a minute, like, it doesn't have to be this way. Like, what? I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, like, I don't, I mean, I, I think they're important to, to manage processes and systems, but man, I, you know, I was in conversations with people would be asking me specific how questions and I would always go to why and what, and I could see the frustration, but I thought I was answering the question, yeah. but I'm yeah. answering the question as I hear it as a vision guy. But I think it's to your point about, Growing, changing, um, adapting, adjusting, knowing even, hey, like this may be the time where I need to get off. Um, and it doesn't have to always be that way, but it also depends a lot on the organization. I think it says a lot to me, though, even about your longevity there specifically, Rod, because I, I do think, you know, we are in a culture right now that loves fruitfulness. We talk so much about it, but I think we miss that Jesus, you know, never says to us, you never hear him say, well done, good and fruitful servant. Yeah. You always hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that faithfulness will, I believe, lead to fruitfulness. Yeah. But it, it, we get a little backwards and because the faithfulness is unsexy and it means showing up and surrendering the areas in us, the emotional parts of us, the mental parts of us, the spiritual sides, the you know, our relationships that need to be deepened and, and to grow us into the, the men and the leaders uh, that he would have us to be. Yeah. And, so and I think it's all about timing and timing and gift assessment, right? I think, I think we all intuitively know that if you're on the point, whether it's a small business or whether, you know, it's, it's something you've started or a new church or a small church or whatever, Whoever's on the point is going to be doing everything at first. Yeah. You know, we, we all we all get that. 
and uh, and as you grow and you have more resources, you have more human resources, financial resources, you can begin to you know empower and 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 pass some of that off. And so we all get that that we need to take off some of those hats and put them on some other folks. But I think what we don't, I think what we what the 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 hard part is the timing of that and 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 who you know it is and i think that that's where it that's where it's so hard is the is the time piece because um you know we we just that's where we make our mistakes i mean i've made those mistakes you've probably made those mistakes you know we oftentimes don't hand things off until we get in a crisis and so it's just like, you know, we get, we, we, we go, 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 go. And it's just like, I can't do this. Like, this is, I'm done. I'm done with this. And so then we, then we, you know, kind of rapidly turn it over. You, you guys do this. You guys, I don't have these gifts. You guys take care of this. You guys take care of that. But we don't do it in a measured way. We don't do it in a thoughtful way. Sometimes we do it in a rash way. And then we, we realize that not only are we sharing the mic, but we actually gave the mic away. And, and now we're, now we're trying to get the mic back a little bit so that we can still lead. And so I think that's been the big thing for me. Don't wait, don't wait till the crisis or don't wait till you are completely spent to make those decisions because they probably won't be good decisions in that moment. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, begin to try to anticipate that while you're feeling why you got some energy and the well is full, you know, because when it's empty, it's just usually bad decisions. Yeah. And I think what you said is spot on too, is as far as the bandwidth to actually have the, 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 the foresight to think through, Hey, what is it that we, we need? What is it that I'm not fully, we're not there yet, but man, we need to start thinking in these ways um, now, because yes, it's important to change, but to your point, if you wait too long, oftentimes it's not a really good decision. And so even when you hand off, it's handed off poorly or maybe to the wrong person, you know, like the wrong person that, you know, they can do the job, but are they the person that should do the job? Well, that, that's just as important as getting it off your plate. So you can, you can, you can lead. So you want to, you know, allow yourself, the space to think about that. And so one of the things that I do, and I'm sure you do it too, is I have some intentional time of just writing down what I'm seeing and thinking and just, I don't know what's going to come of it. And sometimes nothing necessarily comes of it, but it's just the intentional discipline of doing that. Is that something you do or what is your habit? And, and making sure that even as you're able to think ahead, you know, and plan ahead. And, and obviously we're talking specifically organization, but I don't think it's limited to that either. I think there's, you know, our families, you know, our, you know, our wives, you know, they, they appreciate when we think ahead, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it says that we actually care about more than yeah. just what we do. Um, yeah. So w- what are some of the habits or practices you do? Yeah, I think I'm not, I don't, I don't write a ton of stuff down. Uh, I do, I do some, you know, and uh, we'll kind of, uh, get some ideas down on, on paper, but I'm just constantly, maybe this is true of a lot of folks. I'm just constantly processing, 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 you know, and, um, and you know, the good thing of that is that you're always kind of thinking ahead because of the processing. The bad thing is that you can, 
obsess <laughs> over that, you know. And so I, I find myself in a lot of um, collaborative conversations early on yeah. with yeah. folks about um, just kind of what's in my head. You know, the phrase I use a lot is, I want, I want you to know what's in my head right now. And I don't necessarily have it all, you know, figured out, but I want you to know what I'm thinking. I want you to know where I'm heading. And then, you know, we can, we can then have more conversations about what that actually looks like and the shape that takes. But I, you know, I think sometimes as leaders, we process so much. We're so far ahead of what anyone else, even if we write it down, we're so far ahead in terms of even the thought process from the people around us that it's hard to, it's hard for folks to catch up, you know, and we're, you know, I'm, I'm two years down the line, I'm whatever processing through some things. And it's just like, I wait, I, my, the, the danger is waiting too long to start bringing some other folks into that collaborative, you know, process. Yeah. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And I do yeah. think, that writing it down gives you some clarity, but it, it's difficult when it involves others. And then all of a sudden it's like a sharp turn. Yeah. <laughs> and you feel like, yo, whiplash, you know, you're like, wait a minute, like, where's this coming from? Oh no, it's been, you know, I've been like thinking about it, but you haven't been necessarily talking about it. Yeah. And even to give yourself permission to say, Hey, this is a first draft of thoughts or hey, I'm letting you inside my mind. I love that because yeah. I, I do think I do my best work when I collaborate. Yeah. And I allow others into it. And part of that is risking it not being fully flushed out. And yeah. you got to go to the right people that you trust and who are teammates and who are going to help because, you know, any vision isn't fully uh, finished. It's in process. So a lot of times, you know, you know, you're, you're trying to really work through kind of like, Hey, what is it that I see here? Like we had a, for example, we're working through something right now where we're like, man, what does it look like with COVID to even, leverage this season to try maybe something like micro churches or, or house churches. I mean, what does that look like? You know, I've been reading about it a little bit, but you know, it looks like COVID is going to take a lot longer than I think any of us anticipated. And right. so, but it forces you to like be willing to say, I don't have all the answers. I'm, yeah. I'm in the process. I don't know what this looks like, but I'm, I'm gathering information and I'm trying to in real time, give you that information. I think information sharing is so key in that. And I think it's really important, like you said, to collaborate with others because you have so much to offer each and every one of us, but we have a limited amount of what we can offer. And right. what I simply mean is our skill set is, uh, is good, but it's limited because we need others. Others make it better. Others make us better. You know, they see it from a different perspective. They Hey, have you, you know, have you thought about this? You know, like, you know, they'll, they'll confirm some things or they'll say, ah, I'm not so sure about that. Like, have you thought, you know, yeah. this would actually be fun. So. And I, I think a big part of that is drawing a distinction between consensus decision-making and collaborative decision-making because they look so much alike. Yeah. They're very different, you know, that with consensus uh, decision-making, you know, it's our decision. Like we're making this decision together. But with collaborative decision making, at least the way in which we've defined it here, is that the leader of whatever it is, they're the decision maker, 
but they're really trying to get the best input in order to make that decision. I, I think one of the reasons sometimes we don't bring people in early in the conversations is we're not ready to release the decision. And if you can go into those conversations saying, no, 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 this is not our decision. It's still my decision, but I, I, I really want to get your input, you know, on that. That changes the dynamics of those conversations because, you know, you get in the middle of sometimes, you know, these conversations and it's like, wait a second, whose decision is this? You know, and then it starts to get like really fuzzy and then people start to posture and then it's like, who's going to win the day and this and it's just like no when everybody knows who owns the decision everyone relaxes and it's just like man let's just put stuff out there because we know who owns the decision and that's actually very affirming to the participants as well you know like you think about the the greatest honor is when a friend calls you up who's dealing with let's say a relationship issue and they say hey Joseph, I want to talk to you about this, I'm dating this girl or whatever, you know, and want to get your input. And, you know, you know, it's not your decision. Like, you know, it's their decision, but it feels so honoring to be invited in to give input on their decision. And I think as leaders in the church, we have the opportunity to do that all the time is to say, no, no, we're, this is not our decision. This is my decision or the leader of this ministry's decision or whatever but I want to get your input so I can make a good decision, an informed decision, a thoughtful decision. And I think that helps to bring folks in earlier because, yeah. uh, you know, when you do that, it's just like, great, you know, let, let's get input. We don't have to make a decision here, but let's get input. And, and this will help in that process. No, oh, that's so good. Cause I think that actually protects against gridlock too. It does. Yeah. Because you start having circular thinking yeah, you're going around and around and around and you're like, where are we even going? Like, and I, and I know even in an effort to be collaborative, sometimes you're waiting for everybody to, to buy in, but yeah. you're going to be waiting for a very, very long time because very seldom right. does everybody agree right. with where you're going. Um, right. Unless it's like something as simple as, you know, hey, we need a bigger building to um, you know, we're outgrowing it. Maybe that, maybe that is, but sometimes that isn't not even like people have a crazy amount of, of thoughts on everything. And I, I, man, that's such a good distinction, Rod. That's helpful to me. Like just to know the difference between consensus, uh, you know, thinking and collaborative thinking like that, you know, the decision will rest on the, the point leader or whatever we're talking about, but you want the input to get buy-in, but also to get to the best decision like that's really the reason you do it yeah but and it, you actually get more divergent views yeah. when it's when it's really clear who owns the decision then you don't have to pretend that we all have to kind of be on the same page here it's like no we're, it's clear who owns the decision so i'm just going to speak honestly about my thoughts on it and i think as a leader you invite that kind of diversity of thought too so i really want to hear all the pros all the cons you know, we don't have to all come to agreement here. You know, I'll make the decision. I'll own the decision, you know, but I really want to hear what you're thinking. And I think you get your best, you get your best input, your best thoughts that way too. Yeah, that's really good, man. We could even stop the podcast right there. That was so good, but we're going to continue on. Uh, so I, I wanted to ask you, and, and part of me wanted to, to really get your vantage point as you are in 
DC. And so you're really in a lot of the, the hot spots of the political climate. So we're going to really start talking a bit about what's going on culturally here. Um, and, and the first is, is was this question is, how are you sensing the church and the culture has and will shift in light of COVID-19 and racial tensions? You know, what are, what are sh you know, shifts you're sensing? And again, I don't, I'm not uh, paying you to speak for every organization or church or whatever, but, you know, I, I did want to get your, your take as just someone who's right there and someone who really has led for a very long time as well. Yeah. Well, I do think it's a unique moment, you know, uh, for, for both. You know, I think none of us, I mean, I, I've been leading a long time. You know, anyone who says, like with the COVID, the pandemic, anyone who says, oh, this is kind of like whatever, they're just lying because it's not like anything, you know. And so it's a game changer as it relates to even what it means to do church, to be church, how we measure kingdom success, all of that. I mean, the game's changing and in a good way, you know, in some respects. Um, you know, this is not unique to me, but in some respects, it feels like every church is a new church. Every church is a church plant. Every church is figuring out, okay, we're kind of starting in some respects from ground zero. Like, what do we want to build that advances the kingdom in this new reality? So, so you know, that's a huge game changer. And that in and of itself would be enough. <laughs> but you overlay that with the the moment that we're in as it relates to racial inequality, injustice, all of that. And one, it's incredibly complex, I think, as a leader. Um, and so, so you have, you know, you have two different responses to that as a leader. One is it's exhausting, you know, <laughs> it's like, wow, I, I don't know that I've ever been tested more as a leader than I've been tested over the last, I had a friend of mine, uh, you know, a few weeks ago who said, I don't even know what they were paying me for before, you know, because <laughs> what I'm doing now and the work I'm doing and the content I'm producing and the issues I'm dealing with, this is like at a whole nother level, you know, so it's exhausting, but it's also invigorating if you're a leader because, you know, leaders love to take on challenges and say, okay, what's God doing in the midst of this, you know? And I think, I think this moment as it relates to racial inequality and injustice, I think it's a unique moment as well, yeah. uh, at least in our lifetime. It's a unique moment. And I think that's part of what we're trying to read as a congregation is um, what, what is God wanting to do? How is God wanting to use this? Uh, how can we ride the wave that he is creating how do we make sure we don't turn this into a just get through this kind of mentality or do enough to satisfy folks and then move on to something else? Like, how do we really get to the heart of uh, some of these issues and address them in a way that for generations, they simply have not been addressed, you know? And I think that you know, there's been, there's been some legal things that have been done that have been positive. There's, you know, a lot of things that have happened, obviously, Civil Rights Voting Act, you know, and a lot of things that have happened that are, that are on the books. There's still work that needs to be done in all of that. 
But I, I think that a lot of it now really is, well, three areas for me. One is, is the whole criminal justice issue and just the disparity of discrepancy in terms of in incarceration, you know, for Africans, uh, African-Americans in our culture. And uh, the other is the financial investment piece, just where the money is going, um, just financial empowerment, investment. Mm -hmm. um, I, was, I was reading a few things this week that were, you know, I've been inundated with statistics, but, you know, I was reading this week about net worth. Yeah. So net worth, African-American families, black families versus white families, one-tenth, one-tenth on average. And you just, you know, and you realize net worth tends to be about generational wealth. It tends to be about passing things along. You, you realize all of that. And then uh, the other one that was so striking, 66% of um, African-American children born between 1985 and 2000 66% grew up in a definable poor neighborhood. 6% of white kids grew up in a definable poor neighborhood. And you look at those uh, issues and, and you go, okay, what does repair look like now? That, that's the issue that we're grappling with as a church. You know, what does repair look like as it relates to the levers that you know, the, our seats at Fairfax are blue. So we always talk about the people sitting in the blue seats. And so what are the levers that people are sitting in the blue seat have uh, that they can pull that have to do with repair in dealing with some of these inequities? And, uh, and then what can we as a church do corporately that is a part of the reparative, restorative process that, you know, is at the heart of the kingdom? And um, how, how, do, how do we do that? And, and you know, we've been listening. That's been awesome. Yeah. Uh, stories are getting told that have never been told before. Uh, questions are getting asked that have never been asked before. Education is being done that has never been done before. People are learning things, especially white folks are learning things that they just, just like, wow, I didn't know that, you know? And, and so, you know, all of that is happening and that's really encouraging and exciting. But now I think it's really, what does repair look like? And that's, that's the big question for me. Yeah, and I think what well, you said even, I think they go together, like the way in which we're having to do church in light of COVID and getting back to the, the business of the kingdom. And not that we weren't before, but you know, there, there definitely is a sense in the air that all of us are starting from ground zero, so to speak. Yeah. And getting back to really what matters most. And, you know, Part of what matters to God in his heart is, is the areas of, of justice and re really relationships too, because a lot of the areas you mentioned really come down to relationships and how we relate to one another. And then not just individually, but collectively as a people, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think, I think as I, I think, look at that and, and consider it, I, I see even like you said about the wealth um, area, you know, about this discrepancy. Um, I'm, I'm really convinced for me at least, and this, you know, it's just my, my thoughts on this is how important entrepreneurship is going to be going forward for underserved communities. Yeah. And even if they don't go on to start something that they have the mindset, because a lot of them have 
skills that a lot of people who who don't come from those situations have. They they think outside the box. They just need someone to pour in, open up opportunities for them, and and let them run. You know, yeah. and that's actually what happened to me and my my brothers. You know, we grew up in a single parent home. My mom did the very best she could. Um, we didn't have a lot, but man, I'm grateful for what we did have because she you know she provided a home for us. She advocated for us. People from the church, from the community poured into us. Uh, people paid for our college. You know, um, people interviewed um, me because of the benefit of the doubt of a friend um, who was ahead of me, but said, hey, I want you to meet this, this guy. And then that opened up a door for me to intern at a church that I did not know the guy at all. <laughs> but he became one of my lifelong mentors. But yeah. I looked at that and I, you know, my brother owns a Chick-fil-A, you know, Jesse is involved in our church and man, and, and how that's changed even our trajectory uh, because my mom prayed and advocated and then others came alongside. So I, I think that's, you know, and, and people when you read through a lot of the material, people like Malcolm X talk a lot about um, the power of ownership, yeah. and, you know, owning businesses and people like Nipsey Hussle. Who is, who is a rapper who yeah. was tragically shot? He talks about redefining what you do with your wealth yeah. in order for the wealth to continue. And he would talk about owning businesses and and all these things. And I, I think, wow, I think there's something there. I, I don't fully have the answer to it, but I right. believe that's part of it. What, do you agree with that? Do you see? Oh, that? absolutely. And I think that you know, I think we're in this moment too, where there's a there's a kind of a classic book on. Uh, missional engagement called when helping hurts yeah and uh just kind of this concept that oftentimes out of a well-intentioned desire to do something to help we exacerbate the problem you know and i think that as we're looking about the wealth disparities the educational disparities disparities the criminal justice the issues all of that so much of that has to do with resources, connection, networking, opportunities, you know, all of those things that, um, yeah, it's about how, how do we move the dial? You know, how do we move the dial so that, that those tables that people are invited to, those opportunities, those connections, that network is available, you know, um, across the racial spectrum. Yeah, I think that's so yeah. good. And really, it speaks to your guy, you know, you guys and, and really one of your, I believe from afar now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is one of your values is really to engage the culture. And you yeah. said that from the front end. And, you know, I've seen you guys host different things, whether it's a, your own conference or, you know, simulcasting other opportunities uh, to, to really learn more about how we engage uh, in, in the culture and so I just wanted to ask you, you know, as you, as you think about that and as you guys have worked through that, how do you encourage your church, the people of Fairfax, and even those who are listening, how would you encourage us to engage in the culture? And, and when I say engage in the culture, just so we're all on the same page, you know, I'm, I'm talking not just in the sense of the cultural issues, that's part of it, and we kind of hit on that already, but I'm talking about engaging in the other facets, whether it's our vocations, whether it's... Um, with arts and creativity, whether it's with entrepreneurship and, and just, there's a lot of things that you could, you know, put under that, that heading, 
But I was just curious, your take and what you guys have learned as you've been seeking to engage. In the yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, we talk a lot about that um, because, you know, I, I, I think it's, it, I think it begins with a sense of understanding one's calling mm-hmm. and to recognize whatever, whatever channel of culture they're in, whatever vocational pursuit, whether it uh, has salary associated to it or not, yeah. uh, whatever vocational pursuit we're in, if we're a follower of Jesus, uh, we should understand that God has called us to that. We are there for a reason. We are there for a purpose. And ultimately, uh, that, that channel of culture is a vehicle to advance the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we talk a lot about um, kingdom creativity mm-hmm. and how do, you, how do you develop a mindset of kingdom creativity in the channel of culture that you're in? Because I think for that's, I think that's the hardest thing because there are certain kinds of things that we do where it's like, oh yeah, we, we understand very quickly what the kingdom implications are of this. When we come together corporately to worship, we understand very quickly what the kingdom implications are. But uh, when we head into whatever our vocation is, it's just so easy. The demands of work, um, just making enough money to get by all of that can put us in a survival mode so quickly that we lose our kingdom creativity and we stop asking how, how, what does the lens of the God, how does the lens of the gospel change the way I do what I'm doing so that the kingdom is impacted? I I was talking this weekend just about, even the simple act of generosity, you know, that generosity asks, it it calculates the human cost before it calculates the financial gain. And you just, just that simple piece, you know, if you're in a position where you have, you have decisions that you get to make about finances and about business and about pursuit, um, so as, as you are calculating the financial gain, to what degree does the, fight, does the human cost play in to how you make those decisions? And, um, you know, is, is it people over profit? And, and is it, um, I, can, I can still make profit, but maybe a little less if I create a work environment that is more humanizing. Yeah. Um, can I create mentorship opportunities, coaching opportunities, all of that, that maybe aren't so much about making more money, but making this person a better person in the world, a better place. And just all of those things that they have to do with investment as well. You know, it's like, what have I been given to steward and how am I stewarding in a way that advances the kingdom? Yeah. And I think when you live that way, by the way, you know, I, I think it's really important to point out when you make it about the people, it's, it's really interesting when you make it about the people. And again, when you make it about the people, it doesn't mean you're always doing what they want. There's some defined boundary lines, but when you make it about the people, it's, it's amazing how your profits increase. Yeah. This productivity goes up. You know why productivity goes up? It goes up because people feel valued. They feel like they're, they're not just a cog in a machine. 
and they see the significance that they have to offer and then they go home fulfilled. And what does that do? That changes the way they interact with their family, how they interact with their community. I mean, we should all desire work environments like that. So if you're in the, the lead seat or you're a manager, I mean, this is really important because, you know, oftentimes we make it people versus profits, but really it's not. Right. We really are for people. They're going to get that. They're going to get the vision and the values that you're about because to be quite honest, we're about people. We're about the, we're in the people business and building people to be all that they're intended to be and helping to do that. And also to, to help them find their uh, kingdom creativity. I love that because I do think so many times, especially within the church world, um, people limit what it is that they're doing. I, I was just in a conversation last week and a guy works for a big pharmaceutical company right here in New Jersey. Um, you know, um, so he commutes from the Valley to the Jersey area, big, big pharmaceutical company. And he's like, yeah, you know, I know that, uh, you know, I always had in my mind to, to go into ministry and to work in sports ministry. And, and I said, you know, you're in ministry, right? <laughs> I said, I said, like, I'm not discounting your passion for sports, but let's, let's unpack that for a minute. Yeah. Cause he was doing the finance side of, of the business. I was like, you know, do you not know that in that area and arena, they need people who are integrous, yeah. who are, you know, in that, that grind of, of succeeding to see the value and to remind people of the value of their customers yeah, to make yeah. sure that the numbers, you know, are, are honoring the work you're going to do and, and the way in which you're going to, to go about it. Um, there's so much you're going to add value to in, and that doesn't discount your desire for sports. There's all kinds of ways you can get involved with sports and, you know, sports, you know, through the, the weekends or once a month or whatever it looks like. Um, so don't limit your impact in the midst of it, but have kingdom creativity, have eyes to see yeah. the divine in what you do. Um, and, this, and this is where stories are so important because I think theologically um, most people probably sitting in your seats, sitting in my seats, they hear that over and over and over again. But, um, it's hard to get your mind around what does that actually mean? And what does that actually look like? What does kingdom advance look like when I'm a middle management person working in this department? You know, what does that mean? And that's where these stories uh, are so helpful that start to spark the imagination from folks going, oh, that's what it looks like. You know, so you have this guy, middle management, IBM, who's the person people are coming to in the middle of crisis and engaging in the midst of, you know, health issues and divorce. I mean, you know, just doing ministry in incredible ways and making decisions as it relates to the ethics of how they are keeping their books and how they're investing in all of that. And then, then it starts to spark the imagination, you know, with people. Yeah, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, I think Christ followers are, they are both and people in an either or society. Hmm. And, you know, we live in a society that really sets everything up as either or. Yep. Either you're for this or you're for this. Either you're in this camp or you're in this camp. Either in this political party or this political party. Either you're for prophets or you're for people, whatever. Yeah. And I think the call of Christ is almost always a both and. Mm -hmm. It's not an either or. 
and culture wants to turn everything into an either or and even justice issues i was just talking about that recently you know here we have major justice issues that we're looking at now and within 12 seconds our culture has turned the pursuit of justice into an either or they pit injustices against each other and if you're concerned about this injustice then it means that you're not as concerned about this injustice and if you're concerned about this injustice you're in this camp and if you're concerned about this injustice you're in this camp it's just like no 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 if you're a follower of jesus you can't be defined by those camps you can't fall into the either or we pursue justice wherever there's injustice doesn't matter you know we should be united around the pursuit of justice not divided around it and i see churches getting divided around the pursuit of justice you go how is that possible all of scripture speaks to our pursuit of justice how could we possibly be divided you know around that yeah and i think you're right on though i i, I do think in a polarizing culture where words have hundreds of meanings for people and even when you post something, I had to learn, even just in this season, to be mindful, like long form is better. Yeah. Or tweets, even though that's more memorable. Because people just, they, they come through such a lens. They see the world through, like you said, that, you know, either or, you know, you're either a Republican or you're a Democrat or, you know, and, and so you, there's no, there's no, um, not only middle ground, because that's not even the right word. There, there is no perfect party to represent the kingdom of God people. Yeah. I think yeah. if we could just get our minds around that, we yeah. would do us a lot of good. Yeah. Uh, because there is ne never going to be, I mean, each party has their strengths and weaknesses. And some of them, um, you know, well, both of them, you know, that specifically the Republican and Democratic Party, you know, they support certain issues that we would be like, you know what, we're with that. And then another, oh, wait a minute. Like, but that's what we should be. We should be able to be objective knowing what we're for and, and going towards it and hey what we're against but there's there's a good way to do that and a healthy way to even have nuanced conversation and that's why i think relationships are so important yeah because you can't get from facebook or twitter or instagram what you can get from a zoom call or in-person lunch or hey we may not agree but that's okay let's just hear the heart behind it let's get back to the kingdom what what does the kingdom of god say and what does the king want from us yeah. Yeah. in this? And I think that really leads us to where we are in our you know, country right now. And, and we've got something that's in, imminent uh, that we thought it was crazy already. <laughs> we've got, uh, I don't know, the Armageddon may, may literally happen. Uh, in November, uh, we've got an election right around the corner. And you're, yeah. you're right there in the middle of, of, of that area. And D.C., a lot of... Uh, you know, politics going on in that area. And so I, I thought it would be fitting. And again, um, I'm asking you to speak from your own experience and vantage point, Rod, here. But, you know, as we prepare for the upcoming election, what ways are, you know, are you seeing divisions arise? And, and how can we be peacemakers? Like, you know, how, and you kind of alluded to that already. But as the election season is coming, you know, how are you seeing these divisions start to come? And and peacemakers, by the way, is different than a peacekeeper. So right. we're not trying to just keep the peace. Uh, we're we're really trying to bring shalom, which is wellness, wholeness, 
deep, deep peace. And that means we have to address our, our disagreements and things we see. But how, how are you seeing those things play out in this election season coming up? Yeah, well, 33 years in Washington, D.C. will help shape your uh, uh, approach to how you're going to deal with all of this stuff, you know. So, well, here's the first thing is that as a culture, every four years, the Messiah comes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the last six months, the last nine months, um, there's pressure to talk about the, talk about the Messiah, Wh- whichever Messiah you, whichever one you deemed to be the Messiah, yeah. it's, it's Messiah language, it's salvation language, it is, uh, it's, 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 it's spiritual language that gets assigned. And so I think for every church, we have to, every time we move into this four-year cycle of Messiah obsession, is to, as a church, keep reminding ourselves who the Messiah is, yeah, where true. salvation comes from. And, you know, I, I have a lot of folks in our church that work on both sides of the aisle for legislation and for advocacy and all of that. You can imagine, given where we're located, uh, we have folks that are passionate, passionate about these issues um, and have very different views on the legislative um, answers, you know, to them. And so, and I think all that's very important. I, I think we want to live in a country where there are just laws, where there are fair laws, equitable laws that protect the vulnerable, the, you know, in our culture. I want that. But the, you know, Paul's so clear about the fact that the law will not get us where God wants us to be that it is powerless to change us and it's powerless to change the world. And if the law could do it, Israel would have been the answer because they had the perfect law. I mean, it was handed down on stone tablets. It was codified in the word of God. It was the perfect, perfect law. And Israel ended up in exile. They ended up in exile with the perfect law. So, you know, anyone who kind of goes, you know, the answer is if we could just get this legislation through, if we could just get this on the book, if we could just change this law, you just go, yes, that's important. Ultimately, it's not what will change the world and it's not what will change our heart. And uh, so I think that framework yeah. is really important, you know, first mm-hmm. of all. And, um, and I, you know, I, when I came 33 years ago, I followed, the church was really small back then, maybe a hundred people, but I followed someone who had, was pretty active politically on some issues and, and that came through in preaching and all of that. And, and I, as a 30 year old coming here, you know, had to kind of say, where am I going to drive my stake in the sand? You know, and I, you know, I just said, I'm not going to preach anything less than the holiness of God. And I'm going to let the chips fall where they may, you know, on all of that. And so, you know, I've got Democrats in my church that are convinced I'm a Republican. I've got Republican in my church convinced I'm a Democrat. By the way, that um, means you're doing it right. Yeah. I mean, every, you know, whatever the truth is that gets preached, you know, you're going to look at it through certain eyes. But um, by the way, know, I just refuse. And I think here, here's the thing. I, I understand that there are churches and pastors historically that have used the pulpit much more than I feel comfortable to push 
to push legislative issues. And I, and I, and I, it's not that I think that that is inappropriate. The problem I have is that uh, we pick and choose the issues that we're going to deal with. And so, you know, white evangelical churches over the last 50 years have oftentimes been very, very involved legislatively on certain issues and silent on other issues. And African-American churches have been very vocal on certain issues and silent on other issues. And that's, that's where I have, that's where I have some real problems is when we pick and choose what we're going to address as it relates to legislative answers to, you know, problems is that if you're going to go that route, you can't pick and choose. You got to go all in and you got to deal with, you got to deal with broad, all the broad issues, you know? And, um, so I, I, I tended not to do that. I had an, I won't name who I'm talking about, but I had a conversation with, uh, the, the chaplain of the Senate at one point. And he was kind of challenging. It was through a mutual friend and that we had the conversation and he was kind of challenging me on maybe I should be a little bit more political in what I say, you know, because I have a chance to influence people that can make a decision, all that. And the question I asked, I said, well, you know, my congregation votes for who your congregation is. So they vote who gets there, but your congregation is made up of senators and congressmen and all of that, that actually make the laws. And so when you do your Bible studies, when you bring them together, do you ever pursue a particular legislative agenda? It was, oh, I would never, ever do that. And I, I said, well, why is that? And he said, because, you know, they're really smart. They, they know what they're doing. I preach the gospel to them and I let, I let the gospel change the way they go about thinking what they're doing. And I said, amen. That's, that's exactly what I do. And I think my congregation is just as smart as your congregation. And I think they can do the same thing. They can take the gospel and apply it to their situation in their lives and how they're going to vote and what they're going to do and what they're going to advocate for and all of that. And I want them to do that. Like I want them to pursue what God is calling them to do. I just don't want to try to deter and say, thus saith the Lord, because there's very few of those things where I can say, thus saith the Lord, as it relates to legislative answers. Well, and I think it's really even insightful what you said about the law, because I never even thought about the Old Testament law in light of legislation. Um, and even, I would add, by the way, you're doing it right if, if you're an equal opportunity offender, because Jesus was an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> Not because he was offensive, but his ways, his ways do offend, because he calls you to something that disorients you, right? To reorient yeah. you around his kingdom and you know if you ever feel like this guy's a republican and then the you know the you know the democrats are saying that and the democrats are saying this guy's uh you know or the republicans are saying this guy's a democrat you know and, and vice versa and, and going through all that or you didn't go far enough or you went too far man you're right where jesus is and yeah. that's where we yeah. want to be and it's hard it's not fun but I, I think even someone said to me you notice jesus one of our pastors here he said you notice how 
Jesus actually never really aligned with any political party that was on the earth. He aligned with his father in heaven yeah. and his agenda yeah. and his kingdom ways. And man, like I love what you said. I'm going to preach the holiness of God because the holiness of God tells us what we're called out from and called to. Yeah. Right? Like when we understand that, that again, because we are in a two party system that is imperfect. Yes, it's a gift that we're in a democracy, and I'm not arguing that, and we're both proud to be Americans. We're not saying any of that. But they're not fully representing the kingdom of God. They can't. They're not messiahs. Yeah. You know, they, you know yeah. no politician's going to change what only the gospel of Jesus can do within his church first, right? Like, yeah. if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and, and repent and ask for forgiveness— I will forgive them and hear them and heal their lands. You know, like yeah. that doesn't happen without us turning. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's more. Yeah, to and yeah. you yeah. know, and the thing too with Jesus, it just seems like <laughs> if Jesus is your model, Jesus seems so clear on this. The people in power that he went after, you know, you talk about speaking truth to power. It was the religious leaders. That's, right. that's who he. That's who he went after was the religious leaders. I mean, he was living, he was living in an era where the most abusive political system, perhaps in the history of mankind, was in charge. And he said very little about that, but he had a lot to say about the religious leaders, because I think ultimately he's saying that's, that's what's going to change the world. What's going to change the world is those who are on the point as it relates to this kingdom mission that God is on. And, uh, and the reason, you know, <laughs> the reason that he got sold out, he got sold out by a zealot. He got sold out by a political activist who was disappointed that he was not more politically active and was not going to overthrow the Roman government. And so he became disenchanted and turned his back. And I, I think we got, you know, you look at the narrative of Jesus, I think it gives us a lot of guidelines on how we navigate this whole thing. Not that it's easy, not that it's not complex, but I think he gives us a lot of clarity on that. Yeah, I think because he defines power so differently than we define it. There's yeah. power above the power, right? Yeah, and yeah. We understand that, like, yeah, he could have taken down people. No, he says it very clearly. They yeah. don't take my life from me, I lay it down. Yeah. Like yeah. if I wanted to, I could call, you know, my posse from heaven <laughs> and they would come down by force. He, you know, he tells Peter, what, put away your sword. Yeah. Hey, like, this is not the way of the kingdom. We're not going to do it this way. And I, I think that was so surprising even for Peter. And that's why, you know, when he says, you know, we were just looking at Matthew 16, Peter says, Jesus never, like he rebukes Jesus. Like this will never happen to you. You'll never suffer and, and die and, and then have to raise from the dead as a result. And Jesus' response, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Because Peter had a, a concept of what the Messiah was to look like. Yeah. He was to overthrow things. He was to get in power. He was to make things right as we would define right. Yeah. And, and it's just such a, you're right. There's so much there about the life of Jesus, even as you look at how he navigated really a complex culture, a culture in crisis, which we're in right now, yeah. Yeah. you know, they were, they were waiting, they were waiting yeah. for a Messiah and boy, were they, they were disappointed, <laughs> but 
he doesn't disappoint, but they were disappointed, right? Because yeah, he didn't absolutely. look like what, what they, they thought he should look like. Well, yeah. as, we, as we think about even the idea of, you know, church, culture, one of the things you're involved in um, and that I've really appreciated is you guys are involved in seeing new churches started and being a part of, of that happen. And it's not limited to the U.S., it, you know, and I don't want to speak for you on this, so I don't want to butcher what you do, but... I wanted to ask you, um, can you share with us how you guys are in, involved in church planning and, and telling us the, the process for how multiplication works for you guys at Fairfax? Yeah. So um, I, I have a passion and I've had it for a long time. It's why I ended up in Washington, D.C., just for global cities. Mm. And I feel that uh, the advancement of the kingdom in global cities has unique challenges just because of uh, the cost of everything. The mindset oftentimes in global cities is uh, more resistant to the gospel. And so I've just always had a passion for global cities. And so um, that's what we've been connected to doing over the last 30 years is helping to plant churches or restart churches in global cities uh, around the world. So it's been on the average of about one a year. So about 31, 32 now that wow. we've either started or restarted. And, um, and here's the thing I'm, I'm most uh, excited about is that of those 31, uh, only one is not in existence now. Only one failed. That's incredible. And which is, it really is an incredible, and it doesn't have anything to do with what we did. It had to do with the decisions we made and why we made them in terms of where we invested ourselves. Hmm. And that really was just a simple, a simple approach of saying, where is God already at work? Where is there um, an emerging leader that has already demonstrated um, has already demonstrated leadership. It's already clear what God is doing in them and through them. And, um, and we just, we can come alongside and, and pour fuel on the fire. So you know, what does can come alongside? Yeah. What does that look like for you to come alongside? Cause I would love to hear, cause that's, I want to correct me if I'm wrong. I heard 31. Yeah. 31 churches. Yeah. 31 churches. Dude. That, yeah. Dude. Yeah. That, yeah. I know I'm on a podcast and I shouldn't be kind of jaw dropped, but I'm jaw dropped right now. Yeah. That and that doesn't count the granddaughter churches. So one church in Santa Domingo now has 17 daughter churches. Oh, so that doesn't even include the granddaughter churches. Yeah. So there's a lot of multiplication through these churches too. So more, you know, some more than others, but yes, they, they all, all of them have a multiplying heart, you know? And so, yeah, it, for us, it, it, it's finances and um, finances and uh, I don't want to say coaching uh, or consulting, but um, emotional, spiritual support. That's good. Um, yeah. So we, part of, for me, part of the criteria of where we invest has to do with obviously the giftedness of the emerging leader, but also the degree to which they are invested relationally, emotionally, spiritually, where they are. So if it's in Budapest or it's in Paris or it's in Hamburg, Germany, or it's in Istanbul, 
uh, the degree to which they have a network, they have other people that are speaking into their lives. They are a part of some kind of coaching thing. Like, you know, we, we want to come alongside those where the system has been put in place that has some demonstrative effectiveness yeah, yeah. and then be able to pour onto that. And what I do best, to be quite honest, is to process with leaders. So, um, you know, just, uh, by the just way. to be able to be available. And, um, you know, I think that leadership, I don't know what the percentage is, but 50, 60, 70% of effective leadership is decision-making. It's making, you know, the right decisions and the right time. And so that's what I love to do is I love to process with leaders as they're needing to make decisions and to be able just to help them to think through um, those decisions to ask the right questions. And so I love asking questions and, and helping them to think through, uh, those processes. And so that's been my relationship with everyone that we've helped to start or to replant is there's just a availability there. And it, it tends to be informal. Um, it tends to be in many respects, a father kind of relationship, you know, how when you got a great relationship with your dad or whatever, it's just like, man, when I'm facing some kind of thing, I want to talk to my dad or I want to talk to my mom. You know, I want to talk to somebody that I feel like has some, some perspective there. And I just want to be that person for, for young pastors. So. Well, that's yeah. A, yeah. I mean, really just in my seat, I've benefited from that. But now that I'm doing a lot of that with the churches we're helping to establish or they're, they're going on a multiply and then, you know, through our area, I'm convinced a lot of that informal spiritual fathering and mothering is so yeah. needed because yeah. they have, they're not lacking content. That's not the issue right now. It's right. who do I process this content with? How do I process this decision that I need to make? That is, that is really massive. So can, is there a place to learn more about what you guys would do at church planning? Do you guys have a site? How does that work? Or is it? Yeah. If you just go to our website and look under our outreach, you'll see the global cities. And uh, we're, we're really doing two things, the global cities, which are new church plants or restarts. And then we've started something called the Fairfax Collective, mm. which uh, there's now three uh, churches that are a part of that. And these are churches that we, we've merged with. It's two other churches that we've merged with. One is predominantly white church. One's a predominantly black church. And uh, we've merged with them. We're one legal entity. But they function with, they function like an, an independent church plant so that we want charismatic visionary leaders on the point where I can be in that same kind of relationship rather than trying to have it be a franchise model that's kind of a version of Fairfax. We want it to really, we want it to be curated, to look, feel, be branded, to fit the kingdom expression in that area. Boy. So they're, they're a little bit like, uh, I kind of equate them in a business sense to uh, like boutique hotels mm. you know, that are owned by a chain, but you don't really, it's all behind the scenes, but the chain gives it its, um, financial gravitas. It gives it some networking, some strength, some underpinning, but then that boutique hotel has its own vibe, feel, look, all of that. And uh, that's what we want to create with the, with the Fairfax collective. So we've done that now twice. We hope to do that again. We feel like we've kind of got a little bit of a formula that's working and what that looks like, what the covenant looks like and all of that. 
Can you tell us a little bit about that formula? Because <laughs> I think that is a really interesting concept. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, basically, it uh, in kind of short, um, short explanation is that we merge, so they, be, they become a part of Fairfax. So there's one legal entity. Our board is the only legal board over that. And then the senior pastor, the lead pastor, reports to me. That's the only reporting structure. And then they develop their own internal decision-making processes that doesn't have legal ramifications. It just has truly spiritual leadership ramifications. And so they, they put together whatever they need to do that. And then really, um, they're curating Kingdom Advance from um, very much like a church plant would, except... Uh, they're part of this big, huge budget, you know? And so, you know, when you go to the bank to borrow money for land, you now, it's not one little church. It's a part of a big, you know, portfolio that helps uh, all the back office stuff we take care of. We do all of that. So the kinds of things that, you know, you can, you can add that into your system pretty easily. We take care of all of that stuff, legal stuff, accounting stuff, all of that. It really sets them free to lead. And it sets them free to, and, and, and really what I love about it is we wanted to create a system where a strong, progressive, charismatic leader didn't outgrow it. Hmm. You know, so many of the systems now, uh, one of the challenges is that when you get a really strong, charismatic, independent thinking leader, I don't mean independent in a bad way, but in a good way, you know, is that sometimes they kind of outgrow the system a little bit. And it's like, I, I need to launch out because I have a vision of what I want this to look like, you know? And uh, so we just build that in. We say, we want this to be, we want this to be curated by you. We don't want it to reflect, um, you know, Fairfax in look and feel and vibe and all that. We think it'll reflect it missionally because we think that's why you want to connect and why we're, you know, connecting. And, and I found this, Joseph, this is probably more than you want to know, but. No, I, no, I love this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, found, I found that when you, it's, it's like family systems, right? So kids grow up, they're, they're younger kids, they're fine. They deal with their parents' authority, all that kind of stuff. Then they get into those teen years and it's like, my parent is stupid. They don't know anything. <laughs> I know everything, you know, they, sometimes that goes into early young adulthood. But then when it gets to like that healthy spot, it's like they're fully independent. So they're, they're making the decisions related to their life, but they see the value of what, of what that parent relationship can be. And so then it becomes this, you know, we've got adult kids. So we're in that wonderful phase now where we're talking to our adult kids all the time. We don't own any of their decisions. It's, it's, it's all their decisions, but they're talking to us about those decisions all the time, you know, and that's, that's that healthy relationship. And this Fairfax collective process has created that dynamic. So they really don't have, they don't have to ask permission for much. It's like, go do it. Like win people to Jesus, you know, like we want you to advance the kingdom there. And, uh, and then, you know, let's talk about what are the things that we can help, you know, with that. So I'm in conversation with them all the time that are the kind of conversations I love, which is I'm not having to convince them to get in line. <laughs> I, I, I mean, in fact, I, I found that the more you say you don't 
have to get in line with something, the more they want to get in line because they want to, they want to do something effective, you know? So yeah, it's kind of funny. Reverse psychology, right? It, it, it kind of is, but it's not meant to be that. It's just that's well, the way it works, you know? Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, so do you find for you as the Fairfax, um, head of the, the collective and I know it's a partnership and yeah do you find organizationally sustainable for you guys how have you ensured essential staff and I'm just using language like that I'm, yeah I'm use that language but you know is it how do you how do you guys make sure that it, it's sustainable for your um, yeah management team and, and and that's been a learning process for us because the first one we did we took a lot of ownership in um, uh, in programmatic initiatives, you know, and so it was very, very draining on our staff, and it wasn't sustainable. It was barely sustainable with the one mm -hmm. to think about doing with two, three, four, all of that. And part of it is that we were trying to replicate in a smaller version what we were doing, mm -hmm. and so you know that took a lot of human resources, a lot of finances, all that. And what we learned from that is that we, we, do, we don't want to push, in, in some respects, it's just like a new church. Like for a new church, it may be a while before they are able to add staff or before they're able to do this or have this program or this program. And, and so we want that to happen organically. And we want to be there to be able to consult, help think things through but not to um, carry it out. That's and that's, that's where the time thing is, like consulting, coaching. What's so awesome about you know, that is that you have a conversation, questions get asked, you give your thoughts, and then you hang up and it's like, and I don't own this, somebody else owns this. So <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not losing sleep over this. You know, someone else is losing sleep over this. And I think that's the healthy dynamic because I want, I want them to own, I want them to own that. And so we, you know, basically what we do where it's really nice is that initially we can uh, provide a safety net so they can do some bold things at the beginning that maybe the resources aren't there to do. Um, but then we're moving toward a break even budget, you know, pretty quick. And then we even keep track of what the delta is so that if any point they want to spin out, then we know what it takes to make the difference up to spin out so that everybody's whole. Oh, that's really good. And yeah. So and you guys have a covenant, you said, right? And we have a covenant. Yeah. We have a covenant. Yeah. Is that like pretty lengthy or is it like. No, I can send it to you. It's a one page thing. It's real simple. Yeah. Yeah. And our, our, our lawyers and our board reminded me, we put this covenant together. And they said, you know, this covenant doesn't mean anything, right? Because, you know, you're all legally one. So it's not a legal document between two legal entities. <laughs> you're all legally one, you know. So, but it, but it is relationally, it will guide how we function, you know. And, and, you know, you know the deal with covenants. If you don't function by them, the word gets out. And nobody wants to play that game, you know. Nobody... You know, you have, I mean, we're going down a path, probably we don't want to go down, but, you know, you have churches that have invested sometimes huge money, huge amounts of money with certain thoughts of maybe how it would go. And then it spins out and it's like, wow, that didn't feel good. 
like that felt like we did a ton and and it kind of got taken advantage of in some ways, you know, and then you've had the reverse where, you know, organizations have come in or churches have been given or whatever, you know, kind of a thing. And it kind of went the other way and it didn't feel good, you know, for the, for the new church as well. Well, and I think that's where covenant partnership is important because it is a partnership and it is saying, I'm for you, you're for me. You know, we're going to live this out. Now, if there's issues that arise, this covenant guides how we're to lead through that, you know, yeah. and obviously the, the legal dom- documentation as well, of, as far as the entity that you guys are. But I think that's important across the board for any organization. Like, what do you do when for like the friendship sometimes it's at a crossroads. It, it won't allow you to move right. forward because there's too much at stake. Yeah. And you've got to have like North stars uh, to really guide you. And a covenant does that because it, when you're not feeling it, just like in a marriage covenant, you're choosing, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like you covenant with the Lord for Fairfax and I covenant with the Lord for the Lehigh Valley and Lord, I'm, I'm yours. You, you have me here. Yeah. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not leaving unless somehow or some way or you want me to leave. Uh, but, you know, that allows us, especially when we don't feel it or we're at a really hard spot to go back. Hey, what did we agree to? What are yeah. we about? I'll send you a copy of it. Yeah, I would love it, yeah. man. I would yeah. love it. Well, last question, Rod, lightning round here. How can people connect with you? Is, is there ways in which you prefer to connect or how can they learn more about what's going on with you and, and Fairfax as well? Yeah, so several ways. Uh, you know, I'm Instagram, Facebook. And so Instagram is, uh, I'm probably most active on Instagram. So it's just Rod Stafford FCC. So it's just at Rod Stafford FCC. And uh, I do a live stream every week and um, post pretty often on that. It's a great way to connect. Uh, email uh, rstafford2 at cox.net. Great way. And um, yeah, those are probably the two best ways to connect. And then our website is fairfax.cc. And so you can go there and get connected as well. Well, Rod, thank you so much for being on it. And thanks for all you do for so many, the way you, you love leaders and specifically the next generation leaders uh, i see that all in you and 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 hear that from what you were sharing even what i've benefited from and it's so needed and so appreciated so thanks for being on the podcast thank you so much joseph for having me thanks for joining us for the vision for the valley podcast we'd love to connect with you and to hear from you you can find us on social media at vision for the valley podcast or you can email us at vision for the valley podcast at gmail.com 